welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people. The whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crowned, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Allow me to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pray for your help in understanding your ways, your wisdom. We pray that we would have eyes of faith to see what is ours in Christ. We pray for those of us here who are seeking, who are exploring, who, uh, like us, are wrestling through doubts and bringing those to you. Lord, help us. You promise that those who ask will find, those who knock, the door will be open, those who seek. Lord, you, you answer. So please help us as we ask, seek, and knock. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Collingswood, you've been doing a series on the Apostle Paul. And he tried, the Apostle Paul is an experienced pastor, he gets really practical. This is a very practical passage. He's talking about peace, and the title of this sermon is Practicing the Peace of God. Practicing the Peace. And we see there's a dimension to peace. It's personal as in inward. He talks about peace as the opposite of anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything pray, and the peace of God will guard you. Peace is also interpersonal, has to deal with other people and getting along with folks. And he actually has both things in view, people getting along and actually peace, being people who trust God and walk with God and actually know that we're at peace with the Lord, reconciled to God, loved by him, and enjoying trust. Peace is personal and interpersonal. And I just want to note for a second, look at the relationship he has with them. He knows them, he loves them. When I was here two weeks ago, 
I, I reminded, uh, reminded us of, you know, just this is this church in Philippi. Paul has a relationship with them that's gone on for a long time. He knows them. He cares about them. He can say with a straight face, I long for you. I would be cheered by news of you. He says that in this letter. I've sent someone so that I might be cheered by news of you. Listen to what he says here. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. When he says, my brothers, it's the Greek word adelphoi, which you get at the end of Philadelphia, and it's used in sibling context. He's going to talk to two women who are servant leaders. The very next sentence, it means siblings, because in the church, we're a family. And he says, family, brothers and sisters, siblings. Uh, the masculine was used for men and women. Brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He says, I love you. I long for you. He calls them loved ones twice. He, call, he reminds them of the joy he has in them. He reminds himself, hey, he's going to be rewarded for his labor and helping them, and we will too. When we do good in the name of Jesus, beautiful reward is awaiting you. Um, can we just stop for a second and note this? Apparently, it's a good idea to express love and appreciation in words. Like we could skip over that and forget that we're actually called to imitate that. Apparently, it's actually a good idea to tell people you appreciate that you appreciate them, people you care about that you care about them, and people that you love that you love them. And this is an adjustment to how we maybe think about small groups or home meetings. Think of folks that you're together with in the life of the church as siblings who you will spend forever with and we're actually called to express love and appreciation in words. It's important to say it. It's important to live that reality and it's important to say it. And let's just go through the rest of this verse by verse and see what Paul is urging on them about practicing the peace of God. Things to actually do. Things to put in action. Verse 2. I entreat Eodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, can I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Here it is. The interpersonal reality. We think of peace primarily as an inner reality. It's interpersonal. It would be weird to say, hey, I'm at peace with God. I'm at total peace with God. I just have problems getting along with a ton of folks. Actually, the peace we have with God through Jesus is supposed to spill out in our life in loving relationships. We're called to that. Uh, there was a professor at a seminary outside Philly where Jim and I happened to go uh, we, we happen to graduate from. His name's Sinclair Ferguson, and he put, he commented, he wrote a book about um, this letter to Philippians, and he, he puts it in a really interesting way. These Christians mean the world to Paul, and he wants them to mean the world to each other. And he's been talking about unity throughout the whole letter, and he names two leaders uh, they were known in the church, servant leaders. He can say, hey, they served with me along with all the other workers. They deserve help. We ought to help them. 
but he names them by name and asks them to get along in the Lord. To get along in the Lord. Now, why is this, why is this such a big deal? Well, there's a reflection quote I put at the beginning of the, uh, the worship folder. God is a peacemaker. Jesus Christ is a peacemaker. So if we want to be God's children and Christ's disciples, we must be peacemakers too. Jesus is the one who said, blessed are the peacemakers. And we don't even know what the deal was, what they were disagreeing about, but he entreats them. I mean, he pleads with them. I plead with you. He names Eodia. I plead with you, Syntyche. Agree in the Lord. Love each other. Work it out. Agree. Christians are called to pursue peace with everyone as much as possible, especially with each other. In another Paul letter to another church in another city, he simply says, live in harmony with each other. And at the end of that little paragraph, he says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, as far as it depends on you. Sometimes you can only do what you can do. There's actually nothing left for you to to do, but it's something to wrestle with. Have you done everything you can to be at peace with people, especially in the community of faith? And what's this phrase mean, in the Lord? He says, I ask you to agree in the Lord. Okay, here's what he's been saying in this letter. He's written that Jesus, about Jesus, who didn't just serve his own interests, but also the interests of others. He's written about a humble Savior who's humbled himself, even to, even to the point of death on a cross. And by saying, in the Lord, in view of the Lord, because of the Lord, he can say, he's just pointing out, wouldn't it, with a Savior who didn't serve his own interests, but the interests of others, wouldn't it be weird for us who follow him to just serve ourselves? With a Savior who's really humbled himself, wouldn't it be weird for us to not humble ourselves in ways that we need to, to be at peace with each other? It would be inconsistent. It would be a gospel fail. It wouldn't be living in light with the truth and grace and the calling of the gospel. And he doesn't referee it. He just calls them to be at peace. The true companion, it's probably this guy he names earlier in the letter who's going to carry the letter back to them. And he says, help these women. That's another aspect of being a peacemaker, helping people to get along. And he is obviously trying to do that as he names, as he names them. He just urges them. In the Lord, in the Lord, because of the Lord, agree with each other. Be at peace. Forgive one another, bear with each other, help each other. And then he starts naming attitudes. And this is where, okay, there is an external conflict that apparently enough people knew about, it wouldn't be weird to name publicly. It was an open enough thing, it was needed, non weird, to name it publicly. And then he starts talking about attitudes that everyone needs to have. Look at the next verse. It goes to internal peace. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Um, here's how I've, I've wrestled with this verse. I think it's, you know what will help your anxiety? Be more controlled by how your Lord is than by how your day is. Seek to be more shaped by who God is and just how he is than how your particular day is going. Uh, one technique for battling motion sickness in a boat is if it's really rough seas, you're supposed to not like look down at the floor of the boat. You're supposed to look at the horizon. Look at something that doesn't move. You lift up your eyes for a different horizon. And I've, uh, I've had about a year and a half of trying to practice this to begin the day with thanksgiving. And this is actually, uh, since you're doing a series on Paul, I'll just mention this. He always says stuff like this. Okay, be thankful always. Always and for everything, give thanks as you live a life of prayer. He'll say things like that. One exercise you could do, you could try this this week, okay? Begin a time with God. This would be a prayer time. By saying, Lord, you are. And in quiet, name as many things as you can think of that God is. God, you are patient. Lord, you are kind. Lord, you are forgiving. Uh, Lord, you are holy. And name as many things that God is, and then say, Lord, I am. And the gift of God is Christ, is we can say, God, I am forgiven. I am loved. I am present with you. And that's just a different way to start your day. That's starting the day by rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord as much as you can. This doesn't mean there aren't sad times. It doesn't mean there aren't things to lament. There are, and the scripture talks about those. But we fight to keep our eyes on a bigger horizon. And then he says this next verse, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. It's actually a hard word to translate. It's translated gentleness. It's translated forbearance. It means being not prickly. It means to be someone who's not easily set off. Don't be someone who's easy to set off. Be patient. Forbearance. The Lord is near. And I think this means, I think the most logical, this, this means, this could mean uh, the original language could mean, hey, the Lord will come again. The Lord is at hand. That's true. But I think in this context, this just means uh, God is near. He's present with you. It means something like what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 73, when the, the psalmist writes the psalm where he is continually 
he's admitting in the first half of the psalm, I'm thinking about these things the wrong way, and I'm jealous about what other people have, and it seems like good people suffer and evil people get away with everything, and I was thinking this and thinking this and thinking this, and I was thinking wrongly and in such a dark place. And then he says in verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Nevertheless, I'm still with you. You hold my right hand. All those are balancing attitudes when you're upset, when you're anxious or you're upset and not at peace with people. All these are things, are resources. Hey, God is still here. I'm called to be patient and gentle. Look at God. I can still rejoice in him. And so it makes sense that he then says, okay, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, pray about it. It's a command. And what's, what's he mean in everything, but in everything by prayer? In every circumstance, in every area, in all kinds of situations. I, uh, a breath prayer that I've been doing just since June is I give you everyone and everything. I say to God, The things I'm worried about, things I'm concerned about, things I've asked for, the things I haven't thought of, I give you all of that. All the people I'm concerned about, I give you all those things. I give you everyone and everything, every situation. A man named Paul Miller, actually outside the city of Philadelphia, he wrote what's now kind of a famous book. It's called A Praying Life. And he has this advice when you, you're trying to pray and then you begin to worry about something else, which has happened to everyone who's tried to pray. You start praying and you realize, wow, I stopped praying and now I'm thinking about what I have to do this afternoon. And now I'm thinking about, hey, I could actually need some money to pay this. And now I'm thinking about this person that I'm kind of upset with. Paul Miller's advice is when you're praying, and you begin to worry about what you have to get done that, af- that afternoon, turn that into prayer. Say, God, I give you this afternoon, and I pray you bless the work of my hands, and I pray that I get the stuff I have to get done, and I pray I'd have grace to trust you with what I don't get done. I just give that to you. Please help me. And you think about the money you need and say, God, so you find yourself worrying about the money you need, and in everything you say, God, I just want to admit I have what I have, because you've given me, given me these things, you've given me the ability to work, and you've told me to trust you. Give me daily bread. I want to thank you. Help me to thank you. And God, please provide. Please help us. And you think about the person you're upset with, and you pray for them, and you're reminded you're not allowed to like just curse them in your heart you're called to bless your enemies like jesus loved us when we're enemies and you're actually called to pray for them and bless them lord i bless this person and if you have a sin to confess in your heart admit it right there say god i just admit that i'm angry i just admit my attitude's off forgive me and receive fresh grace in the moment and actually let your worry life or your anxiety life be turned into prayer. Instead of just being anxious about it, in all those things, pray through those. 
And then there's a promise, and it's kind of crazy big. It's very large. That the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, literally means which is above every mind. Um, one translator translates it this way, which is excels all human planning. It's above the mind. It's above ra just rationality and us figure things out. It's above our planning. We'll guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. This is an interesting picture for Paul to use because the Philippians were guarded by the Romans. They had a Roman garrison there which guarded their city. And he's like, you know what? You give everything to God and the peace of God will guard you. You give everything to God and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ. Doesn't mean we're not ever going to have anxiety or break down and worry or flip out. But God will promise to keep us in him and in relationship with him and at peace with him. And, and here's the deal. This is why uh, Jesus calls us to be peacemakers. Jesus Christ made peace with God for us. Through his cross and his resurrection, he died for our sins, he rose from the dead. He is the peacemaker and know this. Those of you who are exploring Christianity, if you're curious about how this works, this is how it works. It's not you get your life together and once you're cleaned up, you'll be at peace with God. No, you come as you are, which is the only way you can come. And through Jesus and what he has done, you're at peace with God all at once by trusting in him. And what he's done counts for you. And you've actually gone from being at not peace with God, being a far away from God, to being forgiven by God and in perfect peace with God and in relationship with God. Jesus is a peacemaker. He's made peace with God, and he calls us to be at peace with each other, and he wants us to experience his peace inwardly. And to experience more of that, that's really the thrust of this last paragraph. Look at this last paragraph. Finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Think of that promise. Now, there's a, a strategy for pursuing peace that says, look, empty your mind. If, you, if you're stressed, distract yourself. Just do a deep Netflix dive. Think about something else. Think about nothing. This is different advice. The strategy here isn't don't seek to empty your mind, but fill it. Fill your mind with what's good, what's, what's right, what's beautiful. Fill your mind. Take control of your thought life. Uh, two weeks ago when I was here, I just made an offhand comment about social media, which has monetized our attention. Social media companies make money by getting your attention. If they can get more of your attention, they can show you more ads. And they can say, hey, we showed they were online for this, this long, and we made this money. 
you owe us this money because they saw this many ads. And they have goals for getting our attention. And uh, the founders of Twitter have felt some guilt about this. One thing that, that Twitter has admitted in the past couple years is rage tweets are the most popular retweet. People less often say, hey, this is awesome. This is going to make you feel good. This is, you know, human beings love each other once in a while. Here you go. It's mostly what gets retweeted are things that are outrageous. This makes me so angry. What would it look like if you took back the decision about what you thought about hour to hour? How, and this is a wider conversation that's going on on a lot of different levels. How, okay, people are having a problem getting along right now. America is especially polarized right now. Everybody knows that. Social media has at least a role in that, one small piece of that. What would it look like if we took back control of what we thought about and meditated on and pondered hour to hour? Um, an interesting experiment for me this summer, I took a mountain bike trip that meant it was seven days. I did it with a group of pastors. For four days, no one's cell phone worked at all. Honestly, here's how this would, you know, different people would react differently to this. I found it, I found it completely relieving. I found it awesome. It's like the best thing that ever happened to me. My iPhone didn't work for four days. And experimenting with different cycles of tapping into the news. Here's, here's the voice of one person, Steve Huber, not the Lord on this. Getting the news every few days has been fine. I haven't needed it every few hours. Every few days has been fine. What would it look like to take control and say to yourself, you know what? What I want most to shape my heart, my attitude, my joy, is when something is good, when it's right, when it's pure, when it's lovely, when it's worthy of recommending, I really want to think about those things. I want to think about gospel things. Paul's talking about the same thing. That's why it's like rejoice in the Lord all the time. There's always things that are beautiful and good and true about the Lord. And even the things that we experience to try to turn that back to remind us of gospel realities. Uh, the Olympics is obviously over now. My favorite new coverage when watching the Olympics, my favorite new way of watching the Olympics is uh, the living room cam. You know when they have like, here's the athlete competing and we're going to show you at the same time all of their loved ones cheering for them at home. All the people who care about them in their hometown, maybe it's their coach, it's Aunt Judy, it's like their next door neighbor, and they're watching what's happening in, in Tokyo and rooting together. Uh, I got a kick out of uh, Ryan Krauser, he's like the American shot putter, who broke the Olympic record three times in a row in one day. First shot put, broke the record. Second one, broke the Olympic record again. Third one, broke it again. And his family and friends in his hometown are just increasingly flipping out. Like, 
older ladies in the back just standing up, like (laughs) screaming with joy. They had so much joy in his victory. They were like with him so much. And I I thought about, uh, actually, the community of the church, uh, we're supposed to love each other so much, and we're called to, that actually we rejoice when another person rejoices. And we mourn when someone else mourns. That we actually really do pray for each other and bear burdens. And so that we, when you get breakthrough, or you get good news, or you get, you, hey, we prayed for that, and look how God answered, and we rejoice, we have joy together. The shared joy is actually supposed to be something that, like human beings, we're made for this. We're called to this. There are things to imitate here. Jesus has made peace with God. We're called to receive that and actually spread that to each other and practice the peace of God by praying for everything. Liberty Collingswood, you're called to enjoy the peace of God that we can only have through Jesus and actually extend that to each other, extend that to neighbors, and receive that peace in your heart. And there's a promise. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.